Let's pray together before we start. Lord God, thank you so much for this morning, uh, for bringing the people here who are here. God, because I have prayed this before, I don't think it's ever an accident. You call to people and we respond. Thank you that we can meet together with like-minded people who want to know more about you. Jesus, I ask that you would bless our time in your word, that you would open it up and reveal it to us, uh, that you would take the words that are coming out of my mouth and you would knock down anything you don't want said, um, that you would put anything you want said in my mouth and that your spirit would be working in the people, um, everyone here, that you would be writing your truth on our hearts. Thank you, God, for your, for your revelation uh, to us through your scripture. In your name, amen. So I am uh, an IT professional. I work at the University of Delaware. I've been there my entire career. And um, a big part of my job, I, obviously I work with computers. That's what IT professional means, right? So I'm a sysadmin, but a big part of my job is actually working with my department, which is fundraising at UD, uh, and working as a go-between for them and for IT proper. Like, we get our email through them, we get shared storage, we get all this stuff, right? Uh, so my job is to take the requests from people who are not technical and are not experts, translate that into something that IT actually wants to hear. Because, let's be honest, most of the time, IT doesn't want to hear from anyone. They just want to, like, turn their computers on and have them run. They don't like people asking them for things. Uh, so... On a daily basis, I have someone ask me something that, from a technical perspective, is nonsensical. And, all right. And so IT is never going to respond to that person. But I intercede for them in between so that IT and they can both do their jobs and we can make the university a better place than it was that morning, I suppose. And we keep it functioning, at least. Um, and I use the word intercede. I'm, I'm weirdly a professional intercessor. That's not a word we use very often. Uh, in like day-to-day -day language, right? It's a very it's a very academic word or a very churchy word. Uh, think of intercessory prayer, which is what we're talking about today. Uh, but to intercede for someone is just to intervene on behalf of someone who's in difficulty or trouble. And I would I would say that intercession, while it's not a word we use, is something that is very very common in our lives, right? You're friends with Stephanie. Could you could you talk to her for me? Oh, you work at the courthouse? I have these parking tickets and, right? Like these are very common phrases that you could hear. You might have heard something like that this morning. Like we intercede for people. We ask to be interceded for all the time. We just don't use the word. And I'm going to use the word a lot today, but we're talking about a pretty common thing. Um, I think every one of us can think of a time that we needed someone to intercede for us because we were in trouble, uh, whether it was academic trouble or legal trouble or Whatever, like, we all need intercession. Um, and people are able to intercede because nine times out of ten, there's, you can find some edge cases, but um, people are able to intercede because of a prior relationship, right? So I'm able to intercede with IT for my department because, one, it started as a professional relationship, but I have fostered and I cultivate relationships there. I protect them jealously because the relationship that I have with people who are now my friends and who respect me is very important for me to be able to get these things from my department done for the department itself. Um, it's a relationship. In the same way, uh, like my sentence, your friends with Stephanie, 
could you, uh, right? There's a relationship there. That's what allows the intercession to happen. Uh, and what we find today is the people of Israel in a place where they need someone to intercede for them. Uh, if you could turn to Exodus 32, I'm actually going to have most of the scripture that I read up on the screen as well, so take your pick. You can uh, do either one. But this is Exodus chapter 32. Now, uh, where Jeff, what Jeff preached on last week was Israel accepting the covenant of God, right? Moses stood in front of Israel. Not quite yet. <laughs> Moses stood in front of Israel. Uh, he read to them the Ten Commandments. He read to them the Book of the Covenant. And the people said, yes, like, we agree. You will be our God, and we will be your people. And there was, there was a sacrifice that was done. You remember it, the, the weird picture of like Moses is sprinkling blood on the people. Like it's, it's weird to us. There was a, a festival that went on, a feast. Moses goes up the mountain and he tells the elders, wait for me here, all right? Don't go anywhere. I'm going up the mountain to meet with God and I'll be back. So Moses went up the mountain and the presence of God descended hidden by a cloud and 39 days have passed. 39 days, and what we just read happened. Uh, the people tell Aaron, make us idols. Like, we need idols. We don't know what happened to Moses. Like, where is this guy? And Aaron makes this calf out of gold, and the people are all excited, and then Aaron gets all excited about it. He's like, all right. So he builds an altar, and he says, there'll be a festival. They, like, try to copy what happened when they were making the covenant with God as they break the covenant, and they move on to another God. And Moses is on the mountain, and God speaks with him, which I assume he's been doing the whole 40, 39 days at this point. Moses is on the mountain, and God says, Moses, the people are doing some stuff. Um, and that's where we're going to pick up. Let's reread uh, verses 9 to 14. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Hold on. Let me make sure I'm in the right version for you guys. There we go. I've seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you've threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven. I will give them all of this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. And so the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on the people. God, in his anger, says, okay, we're done here. <laughs> he says, we're going to destroy, I'm going to destroy them all. And Moses stops and speaks for them, and God changes his mind. <laughs> when Jeff told me that I was preaching on this, I was a little concerned. <laughs> um, there are questions here I can't answer. Uh, 
And there are people who have been debating and discussing and wrestling with how can a perfect God have a plan that changes and him still be perfect? Like, I have these questions written in a notebook followed by just blank pages. I was like, I, I don't okay. And we certainly don't have time to address it this morning. I would be happy to wrestle with some of this with you guys um, a- afterwards. <laughs> you know, talk to me. Um, but I will say, I don't think we have to understand the intricacies of how God works as if we ever could understand the intricacies of how God works. We don't have to understand that to know that God partners with people through prayer to great effect in the world. Scripture is full of examples, like story after story after story, person after person who God has partnered with, who he listens to their prayers, and he does things in response to their prayers. Jesus taught us to be persistent with our prayers. Jesus told the parable of the persistent widow where she goes to this corrupt judge and asks for justice. And he's, he says no. And she comes back and he says no. And she comes back and he says no. And finally, he says, I'm going to give this woman justice so she leaves me alone. And God, Jesus' point when he was saying this is, the judge is going to do this for the woman. How much more is God who loves you going to give you what you ask for? And we see again, Moses here comes to God and he makes a request and God changes his mind. We have to leave alone the how, like how, does, how in the world does that work? But we can know that that's how it works. God has modeled this for us in scripture. And so since we know that we can intercede for others, let's pay attention to how Moses intercedes because this is the first of three times that he does in the scripture we're going to look at today. So, in what we just read, how does Moses intercede? What struck me most coming through here is that Moses knows God. He knows him well. He knows that God cares about his reputation. So in verse 12, he says, Moses, or or, he says, God, like, the Egyptians are going to say, you just pulled everyone out here to kill him in the desert, right? He knows God. He knows that God's faithful to his promises. Otherwise, he wouldn't even bring up the fact that God promised anything to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, God, you promised these people that their descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. You promised them that you would give them the land, which doesn't make any sense if God's a God who is fickle and doesn't follow through on his promises. But because Moses knows that God is faithful, Moses appeals to God in the ways that he does. And he's able to appeal because he knows who God is. Moses also intercedes with God's own promises. You see, he's not trying to get God to do something new, right? He's not telling God, like, okay, we've never done this before, but really, can you do all of this, right? He's, he says, God, you've promised these things, so, so do the things that you promised. And I think this is a model that we can use when we intercede. When we're interceding for others, We should be praying for what God wants. And we can only pray for what God wants if we know him. So I have a five-year-old daughter who is now old enough to ask me for things. If she came to me and said, Daddy, can I be Princess Leia for Halloween? I'm going to say yes, because I love Star Wars. (laughs) And if she knows me, like she's going to get what she wants if she asks for certain things, right? If she wants to be Princess Leia, we're going to make a good Princess Leia costume, and I'm going to be excited about it because that's awesome. 
She hasn't seen Star Wars yet, so that's not going to happen, but maybe one day. I've got all girls. It'll happen. Um, in the same way, we, we can be confident asking God for things when we know who God is, when we know what he loves, when we know what he hates, so we know not to ask those. Um, we can always be confident in praying for someone when we are praying the promises that God has made. God has made promises through Scripture. If someone comes to you and in crisis or with a need, like God promises to forgive sins if they're confessed. God promises to provide sustenance for people, food and shelter. Uh, if they're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. He promises to give wisdom when it's asked for. He promises that we'll never be tempted beyond what we can endure. He promises to give peace when people are afraid or worried. There are hundreds and thousands of promises through Scripture that we can be confident in when we pray for someone because God has already said, this is what I will do. God has revealed who he is to us through scripture. We have the Bible. We have God's revelation of who he is. And we can follow Moses' example and know God. Moses knew God through a different avenue than we're going to. His relationship was special, and we're going to keep seeing that, right? But Moses didn't have the Bible. Like, he was writing the first part of it in his life. Like, he didn't have any of that. We have God's revelation to people throughout history in front of us, and all we have to do is open it up so that we can know him and know him better. So as I've been preparing this and, and thinking through how do we intercede for others, I start thinking about those situations in life where you just don't know how to pray. Like there's a dozen people involved and feelings are hurt and people are angry and these people want to forgive and these people want to sweep everything under the rug. And you sit there and it's just this convoluted mess and you say, I don't, know what to pray here. And I've been thinking that maybe me not knowing how to pray has less to do with the situation being impossible and has more to do with the fact that I don't know God as well as I should. I don't know his heart. I don't know what he wants. And I don't know his promises well enough to sit down and say, well, here's how to pray. And the only way we are ever going to know God better is through reading scripture through praying, through spending time together and discussing who is this God who has revealed himself to us, put us in relationship with him, um, and listens to our prayers. So Moses comes down the mountain, um, and he's even surprised by what's going on, right? You get this, you, I, he wasn't, appealing to God. He wasn't interceding because he didn't think the people's sins weren't like, ah, oh, it's not that bad. It's okay. God, don't destroy him, right? Like, he comes down the mountain, and it is, a, it is a bad day. It's a bad day for everyone. Before they even get to the camp, like, it is pandemonium. Like, we have to have this picture in our, in our minds. Joshua, who was with Moses, was like, there is a battle going on down there. And Moses almost dejectedly says, that's not fighting. That's celebration. And they come down, and he sees what's going on, and he smashes the tablets he spent 40 days on the mountain getting from God, right? He smashes them on the ground. He sees the idol and what's going on. He 
destroys it, burns it to ash, then takes the ash, mixes it with water, and makes everyone drink this idle tang that he's made so that, so that it's gone. There's not even ash of this thing left. It is thoroughly destroyed. And even there, even after this, the camp is in craziness. And he says, he stands at the gate and he says, whoever is for God, come to me. And as the camp is going wild, the Levites respond and they go through camp and they put an end to the revelry that's going on. Verse 30, you can feel that it was a long day. It's like verse 30, it says, and the next morning. Um, We don't have time to go into all of that because there is like three more sermons worth of stuff going on in what we just skipped. And we're looking at intercession today. Um, but we at least can see where the people are. There is rebellion. There is disobedience. The people have, at this point, they're married to this God for 39 days, and they've committed adultery with another. And this is where they, they sit. So that. Rick made a comment when we were talking about this. He said, man, what a long night that would be. It's like, yeah, that was probably a restless night. And we'll pick up in verse 30. The next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a terrible sin, but I will go back up to the Lord on the mountain. Perhaps I'll be able to obtain forgiveness for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, what a terrible sin these people have committed. They've made gods of gold for themselves. But now, if you will only forgive their sin, but if not, erase my name from the record you've written. But the Lord replied to Moses, No, I'll erase the name of everyone who has sinned against me. Now go lead the people to the place I told you about. Look, my angel will lead the way before you, And when I come to call the people to account, I will certainly hold them responsible for their sins. And then the Lord sent a great plague upon the people because they had worshipped the calf that Aaron had made. So the question is, how is Moses interceding for the people this time? He's asking God to forgive, which is wholly different than what he was asking the first time. Um, His first request was a change of plans. It's worth pointing out, God has made promises to the people of Israel, and God at no point is trying to reject these promises or break them, right? He, he's made promises, and the first time he said, listen, my plan for the people was lots of people in Egypt, and we're going to go forward. We're, gonna, we're just done with that. I'm going to destroy them all, and I'm going to fulfill all of my promises through you, Moses. Like, when Moses said, don't, don't kill the people, it's not changing what God said he's going to do. It's changing the execution of the plan. Maybe it's a bad word for there because God wanted to kill everyone, but yeah. Um, at this point, we're not talking about a change of plans. We're talking about sin, and this is different. Sin always comes with it a debt. Sin is a debt that is owed to God, and Moses understood that. And you can see from his intercession, Moses, again, doesn't say, God, it wasn't that bad. Like, can't you just look the other way? Like, let's forget about this. Like, Moses doesn't approach God like that because Moses knows God. Moses knows that a just God requires payment for sin, and so Moses says, forgive the people. But if you can't forgive the people, take me. And God responds to him and says, 
No. I like that there's a no in these three intercessions because there's lessons there. Um, What's interesting is that God also doesn't say, well, Moses, that was a stupid idea. That's not how any of this works, right? The, The idea that someone can pay for the sins of another, the sins of a person can be atoned by something else, is not a stupid idea. Um, And in fact, Moses, we skipped these chapters going through the story, but Moses went up on the mountain, and for 40 days he was getting the 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 tablets. I won't say the Ten Commandments. He had those already. Um, But God laid out the entire sacrificial system for the people of Israel, for Moses right there. It's complicated. It's when, for this kind of sin, you're going to take this kind of animal and you kill it like this, and these people can be here, and then you do this with it. But for, in this situation, you do these things, and you take the best of this, and it's very thorough. It is very complicated, and it goes to show the people participating sin is not easy to deal with. Sin requires something, and there's something that you have to do. And all throughout this, that that God has given Moses, which isn't in place yet, right? Moses just came down the mountain, and they're dealing with this, but God has been talking to Moses about this. The whole idea is these animals can pay the sin debt, kind of, for the people who are there. And I say kind of because you sacrifice again and again and again and again because the animal doesn't take care of it. It just takes care of it for a time. It's not enough. And I wonder if that's where Moses comes from, where he's got this framework and he says, listen, God, forgive the people, but if you, if you can't forgive them, maybe I'm better than a bull. Like, take me instead, right? But Moses also is not acceptable. God is never demanding human sacrifice in his old sacrificial system. That's worth pointing out. Um, Moses isn't acceptable. He, he's not going to take care of it just like the animals don't take care of it. And so God says, no, I'm, I'm going to hold them accountable. But Moses is not able to intercede for the people the way that he asks. But what's awesome is that Jesus is, right? This whole, like, this whole story right here points forward to God's plan. Like, God didn't say this was a bad idea because it's not a bad idea. It was his idea. He's got it. <laughs> This is a model for what is going to come when Jesus, who is perfect, can be the sacrifice that we need. Uh, This is Hebrews 7, 24 to 28. We're going to put that up there. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he's able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He's the kind of high priest we need because he's holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He's been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. See, Moses was sinful and inadequate. The animals are inadequate, but Jesus is blameless and lives forever next to God interceding on our behalf. Jesus is our perfect intercessor. So getting back to us, interceding for others, whenever we are praying for non-believers, our prayer has to be centered around Jesus Christ, always. Like our intercessions for comfort or peace or healing or mercy, none of that is what people actually need. 
Forgiveness for sins only comes through Christ. We can't pray for someone's forgiveness of sins, just like Moses couldn't pray for someone's forgiveness of sins. All we can pray is that they know Christ and have a relationship with him. So when your non-Christian friend is having difficulties at job, at their job, problems with the boss, trying to find work, they can't make ends meet, they're sick, you go to bigger things, praying against war, praying against disease, praying against death in the world. All of this takes a back seat to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, not because they're small things, because they're not small things. These are big, important things, but we don't understand how hugely important Jesus is. It's like someone comes into the hospital with a gunshot wound and they're bleeding out. They're on the table and the doctor walks in and says, well, it looks like you have cancer. Uh, We're going to put you on a course of radiation and chemotherapy and we're going to see how things go. That doctor is incompetent because the person has cancer and that is a big deal. It is a huge deal. It is a life-changing deal, but not what they need right then. They will be dead in minutes because there is something more pressing. And it's the same way For any human being who doesn't know Jesus Christ, their eternal soul is in imminent danger. We still care for people. We still intercede for mercy. We still intercede uh, for them. But when we're asking for peace, when we're asking for mercy in a situation, it has to be wrapped around the person of Jesus Christ because that is what matters more. We pray for their soul and pray for their health. Does that make sense? Intercession number three. So we've looked at the first, these first two intercessions Moses has done. Um, we, need, we need to know God. We need to know God so that we can ask him for what he wants. We need to know his promises because what he has promised is what he already intends to do. It's already what he wants to do. Knowing his promises equips us to pray for others in a way that is right, in a way that lines up with the will of God. And we should be praying for more of Jesus. If a person doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, all of our prayer for them has to be it has to be woven through with saving grace of Christ. And if you're praying for someone who's a believer already, like there is never a problem in praying that someone knows Christ better. You look at Paul's writings, and he prays that for people often. Understanding better who Jesus is and what he has done um, is never a bad thing. It deepens the relationship that we have, and it helps us understand our sin better and the grace that God has extended to us better as Christians. But the story's not over. They have had a bad day, a horrible day. Um, and this is, this is what comes next. Uh, this is uh, chapter 33, verses 1 to 4. The, Moses, the, the Lord said to Moses, Get going, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt. Go to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them, I'll give this land to your descendants, and I'll send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites and Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey. But I will not travel among you, for you're a stubborn and rebellious people, and if I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. 
When the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning and stopped wearing their jewelry and their fine clothes. So after all of this and Moses' intercessions, God says, all right, I'm going I'm to fulfill my promise. I'm going to give you the land. I will send an angel to fight and drive the people out. It's a land that's good. It is full of peace and it's full of plenty. Like, it's flowing with milk and honey, but I'm not going to be there. And the people's response, I think, is interesting. Uh, because these are the people who had rejected God just a, a short time before. I can't say it was a day. But they had rejected God, and now the thought of his presence being taken drives all of them into mourning. Everyone here, including Moses, realizes that God giving his promise without his presence is a huge downgrade. This is not good. Moses understands, the people understands, understand. Um, and Moses is able to intercede. So verses 12 to 17, I'll, I'll kind of summarize what goes on. God says, or, or Moses comes to God and says, well, you told me to go, but you haven't told me who's going with me yet. God says, don't worry, Moses, I'll go with you. Like, not the people, you. Uh, it's going to be fine for you, Moses. You're going to be okay. I'm going to go with you. You're going to have peace. It'll be fine for Moses. Um, and Moses does this like fancy footwork with his speech. Uh, and he, he, he turns the me's to us's as he goes through. And he says, God, if you don't go with me, if you don't go with us, then we're not going anywhere. And then he's all in we's. Um, how are the people, how is anyone around going to know that we are your people if you are not with us, God? And I think the most amazing part of this passage is verse 17. Verse 17 says, The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. God gives or he grants Moses' request. He hears it and he does it because he knows Moses. That's powerful. This is the other side of this relationship that Moses and God have. The first, the first intercession that we saw, Moses knows God. He knows him well. He knows what he said. He's listened to what he said. And in this case, we see Moses has listened to God and he has done what God said and earned God's favor. You have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Like this is, it's not a one-way street here. Um, it's not just Moses like learning the rules and then everything is good. Like God knows Moses in a way that's different than the other people. I, I mean, you can't say he doesn't know the names of the Israelites, right? God knows everything, but that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, I you're like, you have found favor in my sight. I know you. So we, God knows us as believers through Jesus Christ, right? We are written, the Bible tells us, our names are written in the book of life. We are adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God as Christians. God knows us. But the question is, do we have God's favor? 
Our eternal standing before God is secure because Jesus died once and for all for our sins. Like, we are children of God. But the sin that remains in our lives that we intentionally commit, that we unintentionally commit, affects the relationship that exists between us and God. Our sin has impact. Imagine a friendship, probably all of us have been at this place at some point, imagine a friendship where you are caught in sin with a close friend. Um, I just said, you're caught in a lie. You lied to someone, just straight up. You didn't want to do something. You lied to them, and it comes out. Your relationship is affected by sin. Like, we're, it doesn't mean your relationship's over. Like, your friendship is not abolished and destroyed right there. You're friends. But that doesn't mean that something isn't broken, right? Something is destroyed. Not destroyed, that's the wrong word. Something is askew. Something is shattered that needs repair. And even when there's forgiveness on one part and repentance on the other, like, that begins to build the roads for repair, but you can't say that the relationship didn't take a ding, you know? You can't say that the relationship wasn't hurt. And we are in a relationship with God. It's not, this is a common thing that people say, but God's not a vending machine. He's not, he's not a machine that we're interfacing with. He is a person, not in this, quite in the same way that we are, but he is a person, and I am a person, and we are in fellowship together. We are relating together. And when there's sin, things can get awkward. When there's sin, things get uncomfortable. Um, the psalmist in Psalm 51 said this well, and we've, we've put a song to part of it. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. He doesn't say, restore to me your salvation. This is not a destroying of the relationship. Like, we are sons and daughters of God. Like, the people of Israel were in covenant with God. Like, he was not going back on that covenant at any point, even though there was sin. But you can see the psalmist here, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. You can hear the relationship terms in here. Renew a right spirit in me. Like, repair what's been broken because of my sin. So do we have God's favor as his children? Jesus said, if you love me, then obey my commands. Moses knew God, what he required, and he did it, and he had God's favor. We love God by obeying his commands, which is the opposite of sin, right? And we're talking about intercession, and part of well, the reason I'm bringing this all up is because our sin affects more than just us. We've been talking about it in very personal terms, like there's a relationship that's broken. But what we just saw here is that Moses' intercession succeeds because of his good relationship with God. So that means that our sin affects more than just us. What that means is that my sin in my life that no one knows and that no one sees can be the difference between God moving in your life. Like that's a problem. That is 
terrifying to me, and it's one more piece of garbage to throw in the pile of what sin does in our lives and to our communities um, and in our churches. Like Our ability to intercede is affected by our personal sin. Moses was in a relationship with God that was unique, really unique, unique to us even. Like this, some of the scripture that we read today, or that we skipped today, uh, in between, said that Moses talked to God face to face like a man talks to another man. Like, I don't know about you, but that's not how my relationship with God is. But we have a different relationship than what Moses had because Moses did not have sonship with God through Jesus Christ. That was still coming for him. But the relationship that we have with God is there. <laughs> um, and he, he listens to us. We know that he listens to us. And we might very well all be called to be interceders for other people. The relationship that we have with God means that we can stand in the gap between someone and God. And God didn't create us to passively rest in this grace and wait out the rest of our days um, for, yeah, for, to go to glory with him. Uh, in James 2, he tells us that he created us to show others the goodness of God. Like we have work to do as God's children. He saved us to something. So we can follow this model that Moses has laid out for us in these two chapters here. We can know God. We can know what he loves we can know how to talk to him and know what his heart is because we have scripture. Like there are Bibles all throughout this place. This is the revelation of God to us about him. And it doesn't tell us everything about him. It tells us what he's revealed to us about him. And we can know him better than we can just trying to like, oh, let's think through it, you know? I, that's, that's where our culture lives right now is like, well, whatever I think is good, right? I'm gonna come up with my own stuff. We don't we don't have to. We shouldn't be coming up with our own stuff. We have God's revelation about who he is, and we can know him. We can know his promises, again, by reading scripture. God has laid out what he wants to do, how he wants to be for us, and we have these promises, and we can know them by studying his word. And we protect our relationship with God and seek his favor by obeying his commands. James 5.16 says, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So let's put our sin behind us and let's live rightly and use the intimacy that we have with the almighty God of the universe for his glory and to show his goodness to people around us. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time and your word this morning. Jesus, I pray that the, the lessons and the models that you've laid out in the Old Testament, the foreshadowing that you put in place of Jesus and the way that you are going to save the souls of the world. I pray that you would make that a part of our lives from day to day, a part of the way that we think. 
Jesus, give us hearts for our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers. Give us hearts for them and hearts to intercede for them because we have a relationship with you that other people do not understand or even know is possible. And we can stand in the gap you to bring your mercy and peace and grace to people. Jesus, convict us for being so wrapped up in ourselves. Jesus, we long to hear you say that we have found favor in your sight and you know us by name. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen.